0: Well, we'd like to say that crazy stuff only happens in Nebraska, but I think we give ourselves too much credit if that were the case, right? Um, there's a lot of crazy stuff that does happen in Nebraska. Saturday the 7th, it was around 7 degrees. Remember that? It was pretty chilly that morning. On Wednesday the 11th, I think it was Wednesday, right? It was about it was a little over 80 degrees, And on that Thursday during the track meet, the wind came up in the afternoon. It could feel the coolness to it. And then we had the icy conditions and the blizzard. And of course, no church last Sunday. But not only did we have about every season in one week, we also had some earthquakes. Anybody feel those? Most of you felt them. I felt them. There's only one I didn't feel we were on the road at that time. Um, The second one I remember, I just finished doing my devotions and I had missed a couple of mornings and the ground or the house shook. And I was like, that's an earthquake again. Like, okay, I will do my devotions every day. The first one, we had felt an earthquake in Dunning in August of 2016 and our windows were open that night and we heard the sonic boom or whatever the noise is, it's just a boom and the house shifted. So the first morning or night when we had the earthquake here, it was a lot like that and I'm like, oh yeah, that's an earthquake and I thought I'd just go back to sleep but then I started thinking about things and I couldn't sleep for a while. But it started a whole chain of of earthquakes. The last one, um, before I headed to Thedford on Thursday, we were praying and we had another one, right? And that's about seven total. Am I right? About seven earthquakes. John Robbins called. He was, I think, out. I don't know if he was closer to that one again or not, but he he was worried. He said a few things fell off the, the shelf at his house. And so, you know, you kind of wonder, are there any propane lines that have broken free or anything? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. We haven't had any that were that bad, but enough to be noticeable. The one that we had when I was in the office, um, I came in here and thought, ah, I'll just check out and see if our cross is still there. And yes, it was still there. <laughs> maybe I should secure my bookshelves. I don't know. But we, we could joke about it and, and talk Maybe we should put signs together and go to Arnold, because Arnold's about the only place filling them and say, repent. What are you guys doing? You need to wake up. Regardless of whatever's going on in life, it should be a wake-up call. Um, You know, I entitled this, you know, What's Shaken? What's Shaken? The ground may be shaken, but where do you stand? Do you stand on the rock, Jesus Christ? Or are you standing on shaky ground? So it's a lot that we could joke about. But as we begin a new study, I think it's proper to say what's shaken and consider that when things shake, we don't have to be shaken. When things shake, we don't have to be shaken. There's all the earthquakes. I forgot to put the picture. I'll leave it up there for you for just a few minutes. But when we consider all that's going on, whether it's in our little community in our area or throughout the world, and look back in recent years where there have been massive earthquakes or tsunamis or... Uh, different things happening you know you think back when mount saint helens blew i was reading that passage and i was thinking about where it talks about uh the lord's voice uh basically tears the bark off the trees thinking about mount saint helens when it blew but when we consider all of those things that that may change or or could rattle us a little bit we need to go back and and take a glimpse and see where are we standing in the Lord and the book of first Peter is a book to to a group of individuals that are going to have their lives shaken if they haven't already because of the things that are going to take place or have been taking place and I believe one of the things Peter wants to get across to them is stand firm in Jesus. Stand firm even though things are shaking around you. So when things shake, we don't have to be shaken. And there are two reasons in the first two introductory verses of the letter of hope for why we don't have to be shaken. The two reasons may, sound, uh, t- may not sound too deep at all, but they are the first reason we don't have to be shaken is, well, who's it written to? Who's involved in this letter? What's the situation or what's the circumstances? First, let's look at the writer, right? Peter. Let's look at Peter and, and the history of Simon Peter, the author of this this book, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he penned exactly what God wanted him to pen. But let's consider this man. He was an impulsive man, wasn't he? A lot of times he didn't get the full picture of what Jesus was saying. As Jesus' inner circle, as Jesus' disciple, he still didn't get everything that Jesus said as the rest of the, the disciples one passage we could consider is Matthew 1622 through 24, where Peter said, where it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, that is Jesus, saying, God forbid it, Lord. That is Jesus talking about how he's going to go to Jerusalem and be, be turned over to the hands of the chief priests and, and the scribes and, and be killed. He says, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, that is Jesus, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So there's things that usually happen because of his impulsiveness that were negative. Because he usually didn't get the full picture. Remember, he also cut the the ear off the soldier. Impulsive. The wrong picture, Peter. When Peter was working in his flesh, some people would say that's when he's Simon Peter. And when he's walking with the Lord and doing His will, that's when he becomes Peter, the little rock or stone that God was going to use in tremendous, huge ways. And so sometimes his impulsiveness was positive. You know, you think about one time when it was positive and negative. He jumped out of the boat when he saw Jesus walking on the water and Jesus said, yeah, come here. And so he jumps out and he's going to walk on the water and then he starts looking at the waves around him and he began to sink and he cried out and the Lord rescued him. There's a lot of things that he did Whether positive or negative, but he needed the Lord to be able to accomplish those things that were positive. He needed the Lord also to be forgiven, right? Think of John 21. I'm not going to turn to that passage at this moment. John 21, 15 through 17. You know, we think of the times between Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and his ascension. So it could have been about this time in, in the calendar year that he was at the shores and, and he was fishing when he should have been waiting for Jesus. Maybe, we don't know. We've talked about this a year ago. But remember he had denied Jesus three times. Jesus, in this passage in John 21, 15 through 17, uh, asked Peter if he loved him Three different times each time Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, Lord, why do you keep asking me? these things? no. Yes, Lord, I love you. And each time Jesus put him in charge of taking care of his sheep. And so you not only see the restoration of Peter, but how God is going to use him as a foundation stone for the church. Although it does not teach successionism as some suggest, but he was used as Peter the Rock on the day of Pentecost, remember? Who stood up, who spoke, who followed Jesus' commands. He boldly faced the Jewish authorities time and time again, and he was rescued from these authorities. And God used him to reach the Gentiles even. He wasn't the only one. But as we consider the author of this letter, we, we can consider everything that he had gone through to this, up to this point and made up who he was at this point. And God used that not to limit his personal individual style of writing or his past, but also to use that and also to go through that to pin exactly what the Lord wanted him to write down to these groups of believers. He is or was an under-shepherd of Lord Jesus Christ to the church. So we know that Peter wrote this passage. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Where was he writing from? It says, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. In this book, we find that he... He wrote, he says, from Rome. Or place, I'm sorry, from Babylon. (laughs) And we would say, well, was he in Babylon? Well, there's still a little place that some consider could have been Babylon where some Jewish exiles or Jews were dispersed. Most people believe that he's talking about Rome in this book. Because Rome was a place filled with sin and people. Uh, who had power and people who craved to have power. So we could think of Washington, D.C., what do you see there a lot of times? There's good and bad there. So he referred to it as Babylon. Why would he do that instead of saying the real real name? Because he didn't want to endanger, some suggest, his companions, because it was probably written just before Nero's persecution which followed the great fire that ravaged Rome in the summer of A.D. 64. And so he's writing of, at a time of uncertainty for believers in Jesus Christ. It was a time when, when Rome was beginning to see that the church was not just a sect of Judaism and therefore stood on their own merit, and therefore they came under a whole new line of scrutiny and persecution who was he writing to? He's writing to the dispersed believers and the place that mentioned in the passage here is Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia and, and I Asia Minor. you'll see some of that place there, you know Paul wandered, but there are some places in there that he was restricted from going um, we have some missionaries in, in modern day Turkey and we have this fantastic book. I haven't read much of it, but it has some interesting things. And so it was modern day Turkey, the, the believers spread out in modern day Turkey. A lot of interesting history here. A lot of interesting um, facts and, and the geography is also interesting. But it was the Roman regions that now make up Turkey. Paul had only been able to go to Galatia and Asia and was forbidden to go to Bithynia. Some believe that many went back, uh, that many went back to these regions after hearing... So how did they get the church? Many believe that many had gone there after the day of Pentecost. Some Jews. And, and spread the Gospel. Who is he pointing to specifically? Are these Jews or, or believing Gentiles? I'm, I'm mixed on. I think it's both. <laughs> Some suggest, well, it's, it's got to be the Gentiles because when you look at 1 Peter 1, 14 and 18, especially uh, chapter 2, 9 and 10 where it talks about bringing you into one group, you once were not a people, but now you are a people. Right? It's talking to Gentiles who were brought into the church and to the family of God who are now priests. And so while there are a large number of Jews, I think it largely consisted of Gentiles that he was trying to reach with this letter. But really all we have to say is it's a God's family that he's trying to reach. Whether they were Jews or Gentiles, they were God's family, one family. And when we look at this passage and this whole book, as we begin our study through it, we need to remember that we are a family of God. A church family. And as a church family, just as Peter was trying to comfort them, we ought to comfort one another. To stand firm, to be bold, to be brave. Even though we may be messed up, even though we have a lot of re- relational history that may, might hinder some, some continued relational building, we are to encourage one another. We are to work on it, our relationships with one another. We could say the main purpose, which we will discuss later on in this, in this book. Is to encourage these believers to stand firm in the true grace of God in the face of escalating persecution and suffering, if you look at 1 Peter 5:12. What we find here is Peter is addressing a bunch of believers who were feeling the pressure of persecution or of possible persecution. These believers had a reason to be shaken, to be worried even to question the Lord. And Peter writes a letter to them to encourage them. He wants them to know that when things shake, we don't have to be shaken. We also find that the second reason here that we don't have to be shaken is because of the position. We already mentioned that they are a family, but what we also need to see is is that they are and we are as we look at this passage those who reside as aliens scattered throughout these regions who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father they were chosen by the Father the people Peter writes to are believers who Peter says are chosen by the father a lot of times today we get caught up in the discussion or debate about election and free will but isn't it interesting in the bible it's never a debate (laughs) doesn't mean we understand it still but it's not a debate and the first thing peter does when he writes them is says you're chosen of god you're chosen by his marvelous wondrous foreknowledge Peter uses God's sovereign love as a point of comfort and not debate. Weersby says on this choosing or election, he says, we cannot explain it, but we can rejoice in it. We cannot explain it, but we can rejoice in it. William MacDonald says, while there is unutterable mystery in God's choice, we can be sure that there is nothing unjust about it. And that's where it ends up. If God is sovereign, if He chooses, then... What about this? What about that? What about this person? All we have to know is God is just and loving and kind. So I'm not going to get in very deep About the discussion I have before. But we see that they are chosen by God. They are believers. And they could rest assured in Him of their future destination, even in the midst of what was going on now. But as chosen to those who are residing as sojourners, that is, they're aliens, (laughs) they're strangers. During a time when their future security on earth may have been uncertain, Peter reminds them they are chosen by God, even though they're aliens. A lot of times we look at those who are coming into our country really negatively, especially when they don't do it by the law. But throughout history, there have been people who have gone from one place to another. You look through history, and you see many groups of people who have been looked down upon because they were the most recent into the country. Think of the Irish. Or you think about World War II. Not necessarily in Nebraska, but Germans were also looked down upon. World War I and II. You know, what was their struggles? I believe there's a lot. He mentions, hey, you guys are scattered about, you aliens. This letter's for you. You're chosen by God. You may not be at home here where you are in this region. Maybe people are looking at you because you're different. And maybe it's not because you've, you've traveled from one nation to another, it's because they're believers in Jesus Christ. So they're looked at differently. I think his main focus here is that they are believers traveling through this world ready for their future homeland with Jesus Christ. They're chosen by God. There's more we could discuss in that passage, So let's move on as we consider not only were they chosen by the Father, even though they were in a difficult situation, but they're sanctified by the Spirit. Sanctified by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces repentance. Here in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces repentance. I'm just going to kind of skip through some of these. I want to go to the next one. The Holy Spirit produces regeneration. In Titus 3.5 it says... In Titus 3, 5. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. There's a lot into the, the term of regeneration. We are made new. We are new creations in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit. We are adopted. Romans 8:16 through 17. We are adopted. It produces adoption. That is, we are brought into the family. It says, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also glorify Him. We also find in First Peter 2, 9 and 10, it says... But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, for you were once not once not you were for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received mercy, you had not past tense received mercy, but now you have received mercy sanctified by the Spirit. And so there's some effects when we look at the Holy Spirit. Not only are we brought into His family, not only do we have an internal inheritance, not only uh, are we regenerated, but we are... We receive all this. We are brought into all this. Look at verse 2 again. By the sanctifying work of the Spirit, 2... For an effect, for us to do something, to obey Jesus Christ. Right. So while I believe in the security of the believer, that doesn't mean it's a passive. Well, I believed, and now I can just sit on my chair, my hindquarters, and not do anything. It's not what the Bible teaches us. We're to obey Him. We're saved to follow Him. If you look back at um, 2, 9, and 10, it's for service. (laughs) There's a picture of serving God. But to obey Jesus, it spurs us on to serve Him. But moving on, we also see that we're sprinkled by Jesus' blood when the covenant was given at Mount Sinai. The blood that was sprinkled on the altar showed God's agreement to show the law or to give the law and on the people to show their willingness to obey it. Because of Christ's blood on Calvary, the shedding of his blood on Calvary, we receive all the benefits which flow from it. We have been saved by Jesus' blood and brought into the new covenant, which has suits two sides. <laughs> two sides. Of, it's like a coin. There's two sides to every coin, right? One side salvation. The other side is the obedience. Our obedience. Doesn't mean that we have to earn anything. Titus 3, 5, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We receive His grace. And that's overabounding, far beyond anything we've ever experienced. But we are saved to serve Romans 2.10. And we are His workmanship. To do good works which He has prepared beforehand for us to do or to walk in. But we are sprinkled by Jesus' blood. We see the, uh, the effect of our God, the Trinity. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Because of what God has done for us. We are able to receive the fullest measure. And so at the end here, at the very beginning of this book, Peter says, May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. This optative statement is he desires, he hopes, and he prays that they would receive grace and peace to the fullest measure. They have grace and peace, he wants them to experience it to the fullest. That they would receive the fullest portions of grace and peace. That they would continue to receive it to their advantage. And despite the possible future trouble. They have a great inheritance, but they do have grace and peace now. But they are scattered in the midst of a world that is beginning to turn against Christianity. You know, uh, one of the jokes this last week is, you know, I don't want to be like Korah in the sense of being swallowed up <laughs> by the earth, right? I doubt that would happen, but it's something we joke about. We're joking, we're talking, most of the talk now is, okay, let's see who can guess how close uh, to uh, the level it's measured on, on the Richter scale, Right? People get on Facebook, they're guessing, I bet that one was a three point, you know, two or whatever, right? I don't know how many people may be concerned. You know it's a little nerve wracking to fill it over and over and over again. I thought it was over last week and then we had several this week. You know, we can get apprehensive at times because of certain things in our life whether we aren't concerned about the ground shaking or not, there's certain things in our lives that cause apprehension, that cause us to be a little bit nervous or scared. And when those things occur, we need to go back to the source who gives us strength, endurance, and stability, who is Jesus Christ. Peter is writing to a group of believers in a a big region to encourage them to see that they are still in Christ and that they can stand firm. And even if things are shaking, they can stand firm on solid ground. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. What our world needs more than we want is for things to be shaken up a little bit so that they will come to know Christ, turn to Christ. We see during the tribulation that they're going to have ample, ample opportunities to turn to Christ because they'll see, okay, this guy isn't giving us what we need. Even though he has signs that he's able to perform and things they're able to do, he doesn't have it. They need to turn to Christ. They need to turn away from the false leader. Today, a lot of times, even we as believers, you know, we're, we're saying, oh, yeah, I love Jesus. I'm saved. But then we sit back and we think everything's going along, hunky-dory, I'm doing okay, and whatever. And we forget about Jesus. And we forget about what He desires for us to do. We can't do that. And so whether the earthquakes mean anything to you at all, or whether anything that you've gone through in this life recently or in the past have, have changed your perspective, what I'm telling you here today is the Word of God tells us we are to keep focused on Jesus Christ. Whether you're shaken or not, focus on Him. Your relationship with Him, seeking to follow Him and obey Him in everything, we are to, if there application directly in the text to obey Jesus Christ right and regardless of what happens around us we are to follow and obey Jesus Christ you know, a lot of us would like to see a bunch of set rules that Jesus tells us, we'll lead today. I want you to get up and you're gonna go over here and talk to this person and go over here and do this, and then we could follow him, but he doesn't always do he rarely does it that way. A lot of times he just gives you this little nudge. Hey, I want you to step this direction. What are we to do? Some of you in class on Tuesday night, we're to take that step, right? We wanna see the big picture. Well, we do, but we want to see the big picture in our lives, not just in the future of what God has told us in, in prophecy. Even though we don't have the big picture 99% of the time, what are we to do? Well, we can stand firm in Him and second, obey Him. How can we remain not shaken, obeying Him, walking with Him. You know, um, it's easy for me to go throughout the days thinking about this is what I have to do. And then I forget about what I ought to do. What we have to do should never get in the way of what we ought to do for Jesus Christ, right? Right? And when things start shaking around us, that should really impress upon us what I have to do is not always what I ought to do, and I ought to do it if Jesus is pushing me to it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace, your compassion towards us, and that, Lord, you desire to use us in magnificent ways of proclaiming you. Lord, help us to know what steps to take Help us to keep our our focus on you so that we will do all that you ask us to do. Please give each one here wisdom and guidance. Lord, we do need um, your stability in our lives. I don't know what each person's facing, but Lord, there's some of us that really had a lot of things going on around us. And so I pray that those people who are really struggling, that you'd give them added grace and peace and that you'd also give them direction. You would be the one that they stand upon so that they can have that stability. And we thank you that you do care and you are in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. A young man come forward we'll take up this morning's offering.